Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Okay, good morning, everybody. Call from the wall says it's time to get started, so we will get started. I knew we were going to have some missing this morning, and maybe we'll have others come in as we get started. I hope so. But uh, we're to rekindle week six, the Great Commission. And this is really the last study in the kingdom. Next week we're going to be looking at, at uh, Pontius Pilate. That's the lesson. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that develops. But anyway, today, rekindle. And the main verse we're looking at, in main verses, are Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. That we'll get to in just a moment. But uh, Frank, would you lead us in prayer as we get started this morning? Right there, oh. <laughs> oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your, for your grace upon us this day. I pray that people do come, and I, hope, I pray that you open hearts. And ears to your word, O oh Lord. Give us that grace to continuously love you and to do your will and your way. Just we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, it is good to see each of you, however, and uh, glad to hear everybody with us this morning. All right. Only two passages of Scripture this morning. So uh, who would like to read the uh, first one? It's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Who would like to read that for us? Oh. oh, she would. No. <laughs> Go ahead. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. Uh, <clears throat> these are some of the last words that Jesus spoke while he was on earth. It's the, at the end of the gospel story. And Jesus does three things. He assures them of his power. His power is now available to them as they continue the work that Jesus started as he came to this earth. And they will be equipped and protected for their mission. Now what he told those early disciples, he's telling us today as well. We have his power as we go and share the gospel with individuals. We have his protection. And we are equipped if we allow him to equip.
equip us for the work he has for us. This is called a commission. There are all kinds of commissions, aren't there? There's business commissions. As you have worked in industry, Bosch probably gave a commission to do certain things. Uh, all companies usually have uh, something that that they think of as their commissioning their idea of what they're to accomplish. That's what a commission is, isn't it? And the commission that the disciples were given here was to go into all the world and make people his disciples. Their commission was to win individuals to Christ. That commission has not ended today, has it? Now, that commission didn't end with just winning them to the Lord. Notice it says baptizing them. Making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Now, as we think about that, that's a broad commission. Teaching them everything Jesus commanded. Their commission was threefold, wasn't it? The, the, the uh, evangelism part of it, the outreach part of it, the trying to win individuals to Christ, and then baptizing them, and then teaching them. Someone must have said, gosh, to do that, we're going to have to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> May have been. <laughs> The book got written, didn't it? And the first was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And uh, then uh, we have Acts, and then First and Second Corinthians. All the books of the New Testament are an aid to us teaching the all things that Christ commanded. I don't think any one individual could have remembered everything that Christ commanded, that Christ taught that Christ developed during his ministry on earth. And so it took a multitude of individuals writing different things that they knew were part of what Jesus was leaving behind for us to do and for us to accomplish. In order for us to fulfill the mission God has given us, it needs disciples. What is a disciple? Do you remember? Follower. A follower or a learner. A follower or a learner. Someone that is willing to listen to what's being said and then follow those things that are being said. A learner, a follower. 
their uh, commission is to win people to Christ. But their commission is also to teach them everything Christ commanded. And notice the promise. I'll be with you for the first hundred years. Is that what he said? I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that what he said? That means he's with us today. And we can count on him being with us. And there's different ways that he's with us. As we go and we talk to somebody about trusting Jesus Christ as our first personal Savior, he's with us in that communication. He's with us in that encounter. He's with us in a very special way as we meet together in his church. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so it's a very special meeting with individuals who are gathered in the church. And then one of the things that we need to see from this is that from generation to generation to generation to generation, the faith needs to be passed on. It's a multi-generational process. Parents need to be conscious of leaving that message with their children. Evangelism starts at home, someone said one time. And I think that's right. We, we have, as parents, we have a very grave responsibility to teach our children the all things that Christ commanded, the, the scriptures, the word of God. Let it be instilled in their hearts and their minds. And then <clears throat> it doesn't stop there, does it? It's to go on from there, from the home to the neighborhood. Remember, we, we've talked several different times about reaching our neighbors. Now, our neighbors is our primary responsibility. And remember, as we uh, looked at reaching neighbors, we talked about the Good Samaritan. As this Samaritan was on a journey to Jerusalem, going out from Jericho, he encountered an individual that was laying by the side of the road. And I'm sure that as he saw that individual there, he probably didn't know whether he was dead or alive at first. So he went over and, and investigated and he found out that he was still alive. And so he had compassion on him and he took care of his needs and then took him to an inn and gave orders there that they take care of him. And then when he returned on another visit, he would pay whatever indebtedness he had to that end. So, uh, <clears throat> who is our neighbor? Well, it can be just about anybody we run across, that we run into. Just like that Samaritan with the individual who was robbed and 
hurt laying beside the road. Christian disciples have the long view in mind. Teach others who will teach still others who will teach still others and then we can just go on and on and on, couldn't we? Because that process has been going on since the days of the disciples who first received this commission until it came down to you. Did you ever think about that? Somebody won somebody in that first century, in those first few days, who reached somebody else, who reached somebody else, and somehow it came all the way down to you and that individual then that told you gave you the message and you believe. That's amazing, isn't it? Steps. Bringing individuals to faith in Christ. And then uh, Steve Oberhammer entitled this second part Staying in your lane. <laughs> Let's see if we can understand what he's talking about here as we read Acts chapter 17, verses 32 through 34. Who would like to take, oh, my, okay. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Then Paul left their presence. However, some men joined him and believed, including Dionysus, the Arapagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Arapagite. Parathite. Parathite. I did not know. Arapagite. And a woman. Damaris. These individuals believe. Now, where is the Apostle Paul at this time? Do you know uh, the background to uh, the reading in Acts 17? He's in Athens. Now, we know of Ephesus. We know of Corinth, both in Greece. But we don't hear much about Athens. Why do you think that is? Athens was strongly influenced by paganism. And not a lot of individuals believe in Athens. But we have a few. The church at Athens doesn't come into prominence. We don't hear anything in the New Testament about the church there. But let us notice the things that were going on. The Apostle Paul had left northern Greece. He had been driven out of Philippi. He had been driven out of Thessalonica. And he had been driven out of Berea. Not a very good record. But we do hear about Philippi 
and Thessalonica, no, and to a lesser extent, Berea. But the Apostle Paul was able to have good influence in those places. And he was having such a good influence that those that uh, were out of worshipers began to rise up against him and oppose him. And so he goes on from there. Some of the Apostle Paul's friends actually escorted him to ask Athens to keep him safe because his life was in danger as he left Berea. Now, Athens, as we look at this particular city, had once been the center of the Mediterranean world. They had been in existence since the early 5th century. But, things had changed. Athens is said to be the birthplace of plays, tragedy, comedies. Also, it had a great historical significance that people recognized even during the time that the Apostle Paul was ministering to them. Democracy was born here. Medicine was a big field of study in Athens. So was philosophy and oratory. But during the time of the Apostle Paul, the city was relatively unimportant as far as a center of something that influenced. Now, the medical school was still there, and it was known for its medical school. But Corinth had replaced Athens as the greatest city in Greece, both commercially and politically. Athens' population had dropped 75% by the time the Apostle Paul was there. It was a declining population. You don't like to be in a declining population. Do you? you want to be in a place that's vibrant and growing. But that wasn't Athens. When it comes to learning and philosophy, it was still a, a, a place of influence during that time, but not nearly to the extent that it had been. It still had one of the best universities and one of the best rhetorical schools. Philosophy was a big thing in Athens. And we see that in what the Apostle Paul begins to talk to the individuals about as he comes in to the uh, city and, and begins to teach. Like any new visitor to Athens, Paul spends time doing the science. 
but not just these insights. He's trying to be influential with the individuals that he runs into. It was a place that disappointed me because it was a place filled with idols. They had idols for every conceivable thing. And as he went around, he looked at their idols. Now he's there to share the gospel, remember? That's foremost in his thinking. That's what he's wanting to do. He wants that city to be reached just like he had reached Thessalonica, Berea, the other places that he had visited. As was his custom, he goes to the synagogue where there are some Jews and meets with them first. Usually a, a, a visiting rabbi is given an opportunity to speak as you come into a synagogue. And it's true with the Apostle Paul. And so even though he was a Christian, they listened to him. And so he had an audience ready-made audience and people that he understood more than what he understood the other Athenians who were idol worshippers. And uh, so he visits there first and then he goes to the marketplace where people are, where people gather together, where people come to purchase the things that they need and he preaches the gospel there as well. And he begins to be known in the city in the short length of time that he's been there to different groups of philosophers. Now remember, philosophy is one of the strong suits in this particular place. And other intellectuals heard of him. And they invited him to speak in the old council chambers on the Areopagus. This is a place where a lot of idols were. And he begins to witness by complimenting the audience for be, being very religious. <laughs> Now that wasn't really that was a backhand compliment because he didn't really mean that their religion was going to get them anywhere. But he used that as a stepping stone to begin to talk to them about Christ. And he had noticed in his observation they had an idol dedicated to the unknown God. Well, the Apostle Paul said, hey, they don't know God. To them, 
He is the unknown God. By the way, one of the things that uh, uh, is not brought out in the scriptures, it was against the law for you to introduce a new religion. They had all kinds of religions in Athens. And it was against the law to introduce a new one. They didn't want any more. But they had an idol dedicated to the unknown God and if he preached the unknown God, he wasn't introducing a new one. He was just revealing an old one. Do you understand his reasoning? His thinking? So, he uses that as a springboard for his gospel preaching there in Athens. And he identifies the unknown God as the true God and then begins to reveal this true God to those that Athens. And he begins to tell them about Christ. Christianity. The Creator. The Lord of the world. Now, notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't compromise with these other religions. He just simply tells them the truth. He gives them the gospel. And he begins from a common understanding that all of them have. There is at least a God. They had all kinds of God. But there is at least a God. And there is at least one of those gods that they didn't know that was in their minds and their thinking. And so, as Athenians, they were always interested in knowing more about something they didn't know about. And so, he shares the good news. He uses different ways of speaking depending on the audience that he's speaking to. Here in Athens, it's completely different than what he used in other places. Here his language and his words are philosophical and intellectual. What did we say about this city? It was filled with people who were philosophers and intellectuals. Now most of the time the Apostle Paul spoke a simple and clear message with no fancy speech, no rhetoric, just simply telling people his experiences. Isn't that way he start, the way he started many times? He told them about his experiences, what had happened to him. That's most of the time the very best way to share the gospel with them. Tell them about what happened to you. Now, also the Apostle Paul used stories from the Bible. Things that they would have been familiar with. And he comes down then to bring the message about Jesus. 
and how He is the only way of salvation. How He is the only way to God. The early apostles and writers used this kind of Christian style in what they wrote. Based on the language of the Bible itself when preaching and teaching the Word of God. Now this is an, uh, an important way for us to understand sharing the Scriptures as well. Keeping the message of the gospel simple. If the message is simple, it will be clear. It will be understandable. And if the message is simple, a person won't have trouble understanding the message. And we won't have trouble sharing that message. Simplicity. Most of the time, that's the best way to go. Now, let us notice the first response. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't lose his message. He simply delivered it a little differently than he did in other places. And he spoke to them about the resurrection of the dead. And notice it says, some began to ridicule they didn't have that understanding in Athens. The resurrection of the dead. Everybody fears this worst case scenario when they share the gospel. That lost people will reject it. That they will ridicule us. And that can happen. That does happen, doesn't it? But we need to remember that they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the Lord that we represent. And let the responsibility fall on Him. And not on us. We shouldn't be surprised, nor should we be offended when lost people reject the gospel. That's going to happen as we share God's word. In 2 Timothy chapters 24 through 26, the Apostle Paul gives a long discourse on this particular thing. How do we react? Well, he tells us there we need to be kind, humble, and gentle when people reject that message. Don't feel that we have failed. It's God who saves, isn't it? We couldn't save them if we wanted to. And all we're doing is being a messenger and presenting the message. And it's up to them to respond positively or negatively to the Word of God. Leave the results to the Lord. Notice in verse 32, he has a second response to what's been spoken what's been said. Now, first of all, the first response was they ridiculed. 
Maybe not an outright rejection, but close to it, right? But a few men be, uh, became followers of God. I'm sorry, let me go back. Let me look at verse 32 first. They said, we want to talk to you more about this. They wanted to investigate the things, the claims that the Apostle Paul gave. And they said, come back. We want to think about this. And we want to hear more about it. And so you're going to have that response from some people. Some people are going to reject, and some people are going to ridicule you. And maybe those individuals won't give you a chance to talk more about what you're presenting. But the individual who is curious and says, come back, will give a second chance to uh, deliver a message. And, and when this happens, we need to praise the Lord for it and ask Him to move in their hearts as we get that second chance to come back and talk to them and make it a point to get back with them soon. Don't put it off and put it off and put it off. Get back the next day if you can. Come back and talk with them about these things that you've already discussed with them. <coughs> now notice verse 34 tells us about the final response. A few men became followers of God and believed, and women as well. This is when there's joy in heaven. Remember that? There's rejoicing in heaven when an individual becomes a believer. When an individual trusts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You see, the, the Apostle Paul had laid it out. And he told them exactly what they needed to do that they might be saved. And some of them followed that instruction and believed they were saved. Make it a point to get back with these individuals as well, these believers, because they need further instruction. They need to know where they go from there. They need to know what they need to do as a child of God. And <clears throat> how they need to live their lives. As we present the gospel, what is biblical Christianity that we need to give forth to the individuals we visit? And notice as the Apostle Paul gave his message, the first and basic key component to biblical Christianity is Jesus Christ is God. He is God. He's not less than God. He is God. He was born of a virgin into a human body. He took upon himself our sins and died on the cross but was raised after three days. That's basically what the gospel is all about, isn't it? Now, the second key component answers the correct question, why did Jesus have to die? 
reason is because we cannot pay the price to avoid God's anger and judgment on our sins. We can't do it. We can't save ourselves. Good works, keeping rules, keeping the law cannot bring a right relationship with God. Now many Jews were hung up on that. And this was the difference now between a Jewish audience and this audience that he's talking to today. So that was part of what he needed to give forth to show individuals that they can't save themselves. Sin's penalty is death. Eternal separation from God. Yet someone died in their place so that they don't have to die the second death. They don't have to die for their sins. And they can have life eternally in the person of Jesus Christ who was crucified as a perfect sacrifice, <coughs> the perfect substitute for our sins. And then, I told you that these that have been saved, those that have believed, as you give a follow-up, they need to understand they need to be baptized. Not to save them, not to keep them saved, simply to show the world that they've taken this step to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's the first testimony a child of God should have. And it gives the message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk in a new kind of life. That's what we're doing in baptism. And we need to show an individual that that's what they should do as they place their faith in Jesus. Now, also we need to talk to them about this astonishing free gift of God that they've received and, and uh, how that they should share that with others. Remember we talked about a moment ago how you receive the message from somebody. And then we need to share that message with somebody else who needs to share that message with somebody else. The perpetuation of the gospel and, and the Christian life. God has offered us His grace because He loves. And that individual has received the message of grace because God loved them. And they need to continue to share that love with the people around them. Everybody that we win to the Lord has a family, usually they do, that will need to hear that message. They have friends and acquaintances. They have people that they work with. And we can go on and on thinking about the influence that that individual who has just been saved has in the world that he lives in. An influence that you don't have and will never have. 
And they can influence people that you could never influence. And they need to give that message away just like you have to them. Now, the final component here is the inspiration of the Bible. The Bible is trustworthy and reliable to present the deity of Jesus, man's sinfulness, man's need for salvation, salvation through faith in Christ, and the assurance of eternal life that are presented here in the gospel and nowhere else. And so we need to show them how important it is for them to know the scriptures, for them to study the scriptures, for them to follow the scriptures in their everyday living. Biblical Christianity believes that Christ is God and that he died for man's sins, right? That's the message the Apostle Paul gave him on this occasion. We believe that by nature, man is sinful. Spiritually dead. And his only hope of salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. And we believe that the Bible is, is inspired by God and is trustworthy to give us the messages that we need to understand, that we need to have in our lives, and that other person needs to have as well. All right, in conclusion today, some people shy away from sharing the gospel because they think it means approaching someone with a checklist of yes and no questions about Jesus and the Bible. You can use that kind of message. God would use that kind of message as well. But that's not the only way we have of sharing that message. Others think of sharing the gospel as having a Bible in our hand with a list of scriptures marked and sharing those scriptures with the individual. All the discussions about Jesus as our Savior. And this is also a good way to present the message. But not everyone can do this. So how can everyone share the gospel? The sharing of the gospel is not always with words but it's by actions, by attitudes, by how we live our life. How others see us. Our lives ought to back up our faith and the words that we speak. We profess that we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Are we following Him? Faithful to attend church and do the things that God asks us to do. How we live our lives will back up the faith that we profess and will reflect the reality of the gospel. Let your life be something that others want to know more about. Why are you joyful? Why are you patient? 
Why are you kind and compassionate? Why are you at peace? Why are you able to comfort others? You see, other people are watching. We may not even realize it. But they see how you act and react to the situations of life. And this is a powerful witness to individuals to help them know that there's something missing in their lives. I don't have what you have. They're able to see. Use these moments that people come to you and ask you about as an opportunity for you to present to them why it is you're able to be that kind of person. Why it is you're able to live that kind of life. And then let God do the rest. Our Father in heaven, we thank you today for this last message that we have on Rekindle. And I pray that it's been a powerful one for us to take with us and that we'll use it in our lives to present to those that we come in contact with. I pray your blessings on this message through our Bible study today. And use us as we leave this place that we will be the kind of witness you want us to be in every way. And I ask your blessings on those who are here today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Thank you, and God bless.